Hi everyone, this is Christian Cederberg, and I am proud to work in cannabis because not only are we creating a new industry, but we're also dealing with and addressing fundamental issues about society and justice. everybody and welcome to the proud to work in cannabis podcast i'm your host carson humiston and today we're so excited to have christian cederberg founding partner of vicente cederberg the leading cannabis law firm we're going to hear all about it we're going to get an update on policy and i've been so excited for this show so christian thanks so much for taking the time to join us oh, it's my pleasure thanks for having me so Christian, let's jump right in here. Tell us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to start probably the first cannabis law firm. <laughs> oh wow, it's been a it's been an interesting 12 years or so. So my business partner Brian Vicente and I met in the summer of 2008 during the Democratic National Convention where Brian was working on a people's law project where they were defending him and a bunch of attorneys along with the ACLU were defending people's right to participate in the democratic process through protests and through activism. I met Brian through that and also through a ski condo that we had in Colorado and always thought what he was doing was very interesting. So fast forward to 2009 when Brian approached me and said, hey, look, we're looking at a situation where the state is going to regulate medical marijuana through a statutory process and regulatory process. And Brian said, you're one of the very few corporate and transactional attorneys that I've ever really gotten to know. So curious if you and your firm or you would like to help with that if, if we can get this done. They they did get it done. And through, through the work of Brian, Josh Kappel, Sal Pace, other folks at the Capitol back in the 2010 Colorado legislature, we created the first statewide robustly regulated medical cannabis industry. And that's when we started the firm back in May of 2010. So the rest is sort of history. But since then, there's been a lot going on. We were tapped by some of the national groups to work on the legalization initiative, which is now known as Amendment 64. So we wrote that initiative and ran that out of our conference room back in the 2011-2012 timeframe. After that passed, obviously, that, that changed a lot. And we've been rapidly growing ever since. And thanks to folks like you, Carson, and others helping to keep creating jobs and tax revenues and, and pushing this forward. And hopefully sometime soon, we'll have some clarity at the federal level, too. Christian, I have to ask, so it's 2009 and you decide to go for it. What do your family and friends say in 2009 when medical cannabis is being legalized in Colorado and you say that you're going to be one of the first attorneys to work in this space. What did everybody say to you? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it ranged. So, you know, as far as my professional colleagues, some were saying, wow, that's a really cool idea. It's a huge risk. I don't know if I'd do it. Others were saying it's a huge risk. You're throwing your career away. Others were saying, wow, what a cool opportunity. I wish I was in a position to go for it too. And however, I can support you. So full range, but all in all, I mean, my, my professional colleagues were very supportive. There were some that were obviously very skeptical, but you know, the skeptics have been proven wrong. As far as my family goes, my family was very supportive. I've just got a really awesome, awesome parents and family members and second to six kids. So I kind of shared with my, my parents and they were super excited to talk about it. My, it's funny, my mom, who's very conservative, came from the Midwest and cannabis has never been something she's ever used. And she she kind of told me, well, it's, it's medical and there's you guys are focusing on medical and there's all these things happening. And 
I was kind of like, well, it's a medical focus. But uh, that could change very quickly in 2012 because that was really a part of the plan all along following the work of Steve Fox and Mason DeVert that we're doing the public education campaign with 2012 cited as the, the year to go for it. So, but even then, my mom said, look, well, we support you. And, you know, it was really, really great of them to support me and really awesome of my professional colleagues, including the Ron Snow, who was the attorney I was working for at the time, really being supportive of either the firm I was working for at the time or myself separately really diving into this and, and taking it up, taking a chance. So. And 12 years later, of course, now everybody looks back. I, I don't know the saying that I'm looking for, but everybody looks back and says, oh yeah, of course, this was a no brainer. Of course you were going to be successful. <laughs> Cannabis was bound to take off. I always laugh because you started in 2012. We didn't start until 2016, but even at that time, yep. people were saying, this is crazy. What are you, what are you talking about? You're going to get people jobs in cannabis. Yeah. Even under Obama, even during his 2008 campaign had made it clear that he wasn't interested in prosecuting medical patients, their providers, but there was still a very big question mark. And there was still at the time, the ethics rules in Colorado, which have since been changed, really did not allow for much space to ethically even practice in the area, something that we worked on a bunch too. So I don't begrudge people, especially attorneys, they're supposed to be somewhat risk averse of them taking a more conservative approach, but certainly at the time, the opportunity and just knowing as long as I've known and always been very fascinated with and disappointed by and the, the war on drugs and particularly the war on cannabis and how bad of a policy that's been and how negatively it's affected so many people. The opportunity to work on it with someone like Brian Vicente, who is at really the height of the advocacy game and, and Mason DeVert and Steve Fox, Josh Kappel, all those guys that were really had been working on this for years at the height of the advocacy game for me to be able to, to step in. I was a uh, very, very honored to do so. And, Definitely standing on the shoulders of those giants and others. And Christian, can you tell us about some of your first clients and some of the, the work that would come up? Like mo most people listening, if they're a business owner, they know the regular day-to-day -day legal challenges that you face as a business owner. But back in the early days, I'm talking right 2009 through 2012, who were your clients and what kind of legal work were you working on for them? Sure. So... I mean, a lot of the clients were people, contacts that Brian had, Vicente had through his advocacy work at Sensible Colorado or through kind of his solo shop that he was running, just trying to help caregivers and their patients with legal protections and making sure they were documenting things correctly. Because before the state law passed, creating a regulated medical cannabis space, we still have a state constitutional amendment that, that really governed this. So a lot of those clients and other people at the very beginning were people that were contacts of Brian's or really just cannabis people that were operating mostly in Denver, Boulder, and a few other places. Because the way the new law was passed in, in, in 2010, what the law said was that it's going to be a state and local licensing regime. The state created this licensing system, and they said by August 1st, everyone who's going to want to get a license is going to have to apply for a license with the state. And before then, at the local level, they're going to have to have at least a local application for the type of business they want to run, be it cultivation, products, or a retail medical cannabis store. They had to have a, a local application in or a local license. Now, the clients that came in, a lot of them were operating without there. There was some local licensing, but Denver, for example, where a lot of this was going on, Denver had no cultivation licensing, no infused products licensing. They just had kind of these retail store. And the way you got a store license was you went through some hoops. But really at that time, like that transition was incredibly difficult because most cities did not have any application process or licensing process. So a lot of our clients, the work we were doing, it was people that were operating as caregivers that had gotten together. 
that either wanted to start a business. So they were scrambling for real estate, scrambling to find a place to locate a store, to locate a grow. And then also it was really helping to work almost treating the Denver City Council and others, local governments as the client to kind of say, look, these people are operating. We need to find a way to get them so that they can then apply for the state license. You don't want to shut these businesses down. So we were doing a lot of legislative work at the local level. And Denver, one example of all this too is and the kind of work that we're doing, the people we're representing, they were lighting systems at the time. Very few of them had, if any, had a certification from underwriting from UL, a UL certification saying this is a safe, safe for commercial use. So working with the city of Denver, because we, we had to get building permits and start going through the process of building these grows out. They had no regulators that knew anything about this. The state was just building their regulatory system. And also the equipment that is required for you to have a safe and licensed to close out your permits for local cultivation and and operation to get your certificate of occupancy you needed to use ul certified lighting technology i mean these are i'm kind of bouncing around a little bit but there was just crazy complexities around just getting people from operating without any state or local licensing to getting local and state licenses all done within about a two and a half three month period and and speaking of licensing over the course of the last right decade that you've been growing your business, which I want to talk about your journey as an entrepreneur in a little bit too, because it's cool because you're a lawyer, but you're also an entrepreneur growing your own practice. But sticking on the licensing, can you talk to the audience about how that part of your business has evolved? Because I would imagine now you're helping people get licenses all across the country and you're one of the, the, the top people to go to if someone's trying to win a license. Yeah, thanks. No, we, we built a very robust licensing practice nationwide that Brian Vicente runs and also Jericho Perez, one of our newest partners. The two of them really lead the charge there with an amazing staff. And that started with New York and Florida at the beginning when there were some of these very, very robust application processes and limited numbers of licenses being selected. We were successful in Minnesota, in New York, in Florida in those first rounds. And Brian really built a, a robust practice around that. And we still are operating, getting licenses for people in these sort of, we call them competitive application or merit application states. Sorry to cut in, just for, for people listening that don't know, this isn't like you're going to the DMV to apply for a license <laughs> to get like a car or something. Can you, can you give the audience sure. just like a sense of how complex sure. these licenses are? Yeah, I mean, some of these are thousands of pages long. The applications, they include everything from very detailed plans around all of your operations, SOPs, staffing plans, more and more. And it's good to see, including plans around how you're going to execute on social justice, criminal justice, diversity, equity, inclusion type issues. These are incredibly massive applications that take hundreds, if not thousands of hours and teams to, to really complete. This includes putting together your executive teams. Carson, obviously you guys know a lot about that. I'm sure you've seen this and help people do this, but you know, it's really connecting all the dots and putting in front of a state and locality, typically a, an application package that says, this is why we should be the ones that get one of these 15, 20 licenses or whatever it is going forward, or even in states where it's just a very robust practice without so many limitations for Massachusetts, for example, where we do a lot of work started out as a limited applications. Now it's really driven by local governments. California, Colorado, other places are the same way. So that's really become a very big part of our practice. And Brian Vicente has has really taken the reins there and does a, does a really amazing job. Yeah. And, and I just have to imagine that 
as more and more states continue to legalize, it's harder to stand out, right? Like if you're a business yep. owner, you really have to put effort into why is our team the team to that should be one of the winners in New York, as an example. And I think your firm does a great job in helping people stand out. So if you are listening and you're looking to win a license, look no further. <laughs> but anyway, a little bit back to you. So you start the practice. Of course, you start getting more clients. Now we're talking about today, you're helping people all across the entire country. What's it been like balancing being an attorney with also being an entrepreneur, hiring partners onto your firm, focusing on partnerships, marketing, expansion. Talk to us about the journey as a, a lawyer and an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, it's thanks for asking the question. It's hard to build and grow a, a business in a very complicated and shifting regulatory environment. The benefit, obviously, is that there's a lot of people very excited about the opportunities and potential opportunities to practice a new area of law here or to get involved at the front end. There's three of us and growing it to about 90 or so where we're at now. You hit these levels that I think every entrepreneur hits in a fast growing environment where all of a sudden you can't have your hands on everything. You got to let things go. You got to start to think of what is the best way for, for growth to happen. You got to bring professionals in that, that know these things, be it marketing professionals, HR professionals, operations professionals, just like any company. And honestly, lawyers are historically not the best business people. It's kind of a joke in the lawyer industry that, that oftentimes your success, you just become more successful and really taking that focus and putting it on efficient operations and looking at how companies are typically run lawyer law firms and lawyers are typically very inefficient so it's been a been a very interesting journey and i've got a background in finance and corporate finance that's what i majored in but also it's what i did for a couple of years before law school and then at my first job as a lawyer i was really focusing on complex real estate complex private equity kind of partnerships. And so I've got a pretty good business sense around me, business sense from my experience, but also it's, it's a real challenge. And and certainly we, we go through the same challenges many people do. We've been kicked out of our bank. We've got very solid banking relationships. We've been transparent since day one about what we do, how we're doing it. But we've lost over the 12 years, five, six banking relationships. We have challenges getting lines of credit, but a lot of the same challenges that a lot of the, the cannabis industry goes through. So it's been it's been an adventure and we're still trying to to get better every day. But uh, yeah, it's been real challenging, but also very fulfilling in many ways. 90, 90 full-time staff. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's obviously COVID has been very tricky the last couple of years, as everyone I'm sure knows. It's tricky maintaining culture as is when you're, when you're growing a company very fastly, but also just the disconnection from partners, from my own partners and from my staff and from, from everybody. It's, Certainly been at the last couple of years in particular have been incredibly challenging. So when you're hiring for the 90 staff, what are you looking for in people that you are going to hire to join your team, whether it's lawyers or the other people that you use in, I would imagine, marketing, operations, finance, all the, the parts of the business. What are you generally looking for when you're hiring? Being entrepreneurial and having an understanding that there's some level of risk taking here. Obviously, it's a lot less than it was 10 years ago, but you know, that this is a, a dynamic environment and constantly shifting. And so also looking for people like what is their passion? Why why join our team? Our team and our, our firm has been always focused on we're in, we're in advocacy. We first organization and we've been advocates, but also advocates, not just for reforming our drug laws and our cannabis laws specifically, but advocates for creating 
a substitute system that's much better, which is the regulated market. So it's balancing that business and advocacy. But we always like to talk to people and ask them why, why cannabis? Why now? Why here? And so it doesn't mean you like we've got plenty of people that don't aren't regular cannabis consumers or maybe don't consume cannabis at all. That's not a qualification or a requirement here. But having an understanding of why this this area is compelling and what motivates you. I think mm-hmm. that's a recipe for not just success in hiring, but success for that person in that position. Yeah, we always say passion sells. And when we find people that are passionate about moving the industry forward, I think that's one of like the most unique parts about cannabis is that there's all these individual businesses with a common goal. And I think that's what makes the industry so unique that you may even have a competitor, yeah. but you want both businesses to succeed because if every business in cannabis is succeeding that means that we're moving the industry forward which speaking of moving the industry forward there's no better person to ask around policy updates than you the question that i'm sure you get asked like every single day that's probably so annoying is when is cannabis going to be regulated at the federal level but can you give us a sense of what's going on in the legislative world Sure. And so here we are the week of the 18th of July. Last week we heard that Bloomberg and some others reported that the CAO, which is the, everyone calls it the Booker Schumer Wyden Comprehensive Cannabis Reform Bill, that we're hearing rumors that could be introduced this week. We've been assured by Senate staffers that it'll be before the August recess, which starts on August 8th. So the next couple of weeks here, if not this week, we're anticipating that bill to be introduced. Now, the, that that doesn't answer the question, when is cannabis going to be regulated federally? But this is a huge, huge step, along with the Moore Act, which has passed the House on multiple occasions, which is comprehensive reform, but hasn't really moved anywhere in the Senate. Having this introduced in the Senate, which we don't anticipate anything could happen, but it advancing this, this Congress is just with how much time is left and all of the issues out there, it, it doesn't seem likely to advance this Congress, but what it does is it has just a major influence on future comprehensive reform proposals, particularly on the Democratic side. You also have Representative Mace, who's a Republican from South Carolina, who introduced her package, which is kind of the Republican response to this. And so I think what we're seeing is you start to get these legislative proposals out there, even if they're not going to pass this session. These are incredibly historic moments. And I think it bodes well for something to change in the near future. Alongside that, we have some interesting stuff happening in the hemp world, right, where there's been some interesting lawsuits and, and other things where there's some talk of uh, hemp, hemp-derived hemp cannabinoids, including Delta-9 THC, not just Delta-8 and Delta-10, but even Delta-9, the traditional, what we all know to be in all of the regulated products sold in all these states. There's, those products are being sold online. Some believe, although I'm not one of them, that... This is fully legal and that, that the farm bill that legalized hemp in 2018 created this this interesting problem through inartful drafting. Now, again, I look at that as a challenge for the cannabis industry generally because it means there's a lot of products being sold online, less than regulated. But also it's an opportunity as we look at the next iteration. What we really need in Congress is some level of urgency. And I think that there's some urgency being created through these types of business activities where the cannabis industry is expanding to state state by state. And then you have the hemp industry and some of the hemp industry selling what are what are basically mirrored to the products that are sold in our regulated stores here in Colorado, five and 10 milligram per serving, 100 milligram plus per package of Delta 9 THC that I can get online or that I can go down the street to a regulated store. But if you're in 
Texas or other states that's that's out there. So I think there is urgency being created by all these things, all of which I see as an opportunity. But this Congress, I think it's a long, a very long shot. We're hoping that in this Congress, we're going to see some reforms around banking and some maybe some research, some smaller things as we move to the end of this Congress. Hopefully we can get Ed Perlman out of banking legislation done at some point here. But I think we're looking at smaller reforms. Hopefully this Congress with the path towards larger reforms being partly dependent on who controls the House and the Senate in to, at the end of these elections starting in 23. But I do think there is a, a very large and bipartisan amount of support at this point for comprehensive reform. It's just a matter of politics. And, and if, if you're just a random person that's you know not working at a law firm or isn't super, super heavily involved in cannabis reform, but you want to get involved, we constantly have people asking us, I work in the industry, I'm a bud tender, but I'd like to help move the industry forward. What advice do you give to those people? What, what do they do? Yeah, there's a there's an organization called Headcount, which has a specific, very well-known organization. It's a get out the vote, voting registration and voter information nonprofit. There is a part of that called the Cannabis Voter Project, of which I'm a part of their advisory board, as are a number of other leaders in the industry. It's www.cannabisvoter.info. Some people might recognize it if you're tangentially involved, but Seth Rogen, Sarah Silverman did some spots around reform a few months ago. That was the Cannabis Voter Project and Headcount's work. So that's that's one of the easiest ways, I think, to just kind of get involved because you you go sign up for their email list or sign up to get text notifications. It reminds me to register, make sure I'm registered. It kind of gives targeted insights. Hey, you're just so you know, they're, they're nonpartisan. So they're not taking positions on candidates or even issues, but they are saying it's awareness. Are you aware that there is this piece of legislation in Congress or this piece of legislation at your state, at, in your state or XYZ events are coming up? So I really push people to cannabis voter info. But also, again, it's Marijuana Moment is a, is a wonderful website for people to kind of stay stay in touch. And they've got a lot of good advocacy tools. So yeah, Marijuana Policy Project, I don't want to leave anyone out here because we got some really good partners in advocacy and, and we need to keep keep pushing here. Absolutely. And that, those are those are great tips. I actually took some notes and I'm going to check. I hadn't heard of a couple of those, so I'm going to check them out. My, my last question for you is, if you could wave a wand and have one thing in the cannabis industry happen today, what would you wish for? Oh, man. I mean, I wish that if I could have my way, we'd have more time to have a really robust de- debate around the, the CAO and also around other proposals. Now, again, I don't think that the only way to win and the way to win and actually win is to have to win hearts and minds. And that takes a process and that takes advocacy. So I, I wouldn't want to force my will upon anyone. I'm not trying to cop out here up on this question, but I really wish we had more time. And I, and I really, frankly, if I could wave a wand, I would make it that it was President Biden's a, a very high priority because if he made it a high priority, it is my opinion that we could actually get something done in the next couple of years. I really like that one. I, I ask this question all the time. And yeah, there's having the, the president have this as a priority it would drum up the attention and support to really get the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. When we release this, we're going to have links to your website and your profile and all of your open jobs. So if, as uh, Vicente Cedarberg continues to grow, if people listening are interested in joining Christian and his 
awesome team. I'm sure they would love to get in touch with you. So Christian, thank you so much for being here with us today. This was, this episode went by so quickly. I can't believe it's already been 25 minutes. Uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks. And thanks for everything you guys are doing, Carson. And I always amazing to watch you doing what you're doing and how much you've grown your company. And I'm so happy for your success. And I really appreciate everything you guys do. So thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Have a great day. And everybody will have you back here next week for another, we have another exciting guest coming on the show next week. So thanks again for tuning in and I hope everybody has a great day. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.